All right. I'm going to go ahead and probably get started. Um, I think we'll probably have a second wave of people. At least that's what's happened the last couple of weeks. But um, we'll go ahead and get started because I, I have way too much stuff to tell you today. <laughs> so I know. I'm sorry. I'm actually even skipping a little section at the beginning because I just know I've got too much. But I wanted to start out, and, and this is not as... Um, Oh, detailed right at the very beginning so that we allow time for other people to be joining us. But I wanted to, you know, last week I was pretty vulnerable and shared with you some of my oops moments. And I left thinking, oh, I shared that stuff, right? We all do this to ourselves. We all do this to ourselves. So I was praying about it and God said, well, you can tell them the good stuff too, right? So the only thing I have to tell you just, and I'm going to make it real fast so we can allow our latecomers to join and get into today's stuff, but um, I wanted to share with you just a teeny bit about my kids today after all of those oops things, right? So about a year, just over a year ago, I was in church worshiping one Sunday morning, and I love worship. It's just like me and God, like everything around me just goes away, (laughs) and it's just me and God. And this one particular day, um, my son was home for college. He's a college student, so he's not very often in worship with us much anymore, which is very sad to me. But anyway, this one particular day, he just happened to be visiting. We were in worship. I'm just doing my thing with God and loving it. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice. I don't, know, I don't normally hear people because it's so me and God, you know? And I don't normally hear people. And all of a sudden, I heard this voice, like, passionately, not just singing, but like, like I felt the passion in this voice in worship, and enough so that, which is not normal for me, I kind of had to do the who's, you know, where's that coming from kind of a thing, which I don't normally do. And I got to tell you, this is exactly what I saw. I actually probably did what I shouldn't do in worship, but I stopped to take a picture because I was like, I looked next to me, and there's my son. And he is just, with everything in him, he has no idea I'm looking at him or taking his picture (laughs) in the middle of worship. Sorry, God. He's just praising Jesus, right? So, yeah, this kid experienced a lot of tough stuff over the years, right? Some at my, some of my husband, some with other things. But his heart is for the Lord. God will have his purpose with your children, and he will have his purpose with my children, right? And then there's my daughter. I'll flip the picture in a minute, who is 15 right now, but this was about a year and a half ago. Um, we, my dad has had a lot of medical issues over the years, and, or the last 10 years or so. And this is my daughter's heart. One day we were at Fifth Third Ballpark, and um, my dad had gone up to the bathroom, and he just really, his issues have all been leg-related. And all of a sudden, she, like, goes running by me out of the seat. I'm like, where are you going? It's taking off, you know? And she's like, I've been watching for Grandpa. He's coming. And this is what I looked up, and I had to snap another picture because I want these memories in my, in my heart. Ah, oh, come on. Go, go, go. Why are you not going? There we are. Here she is. She just ran up. This is her heart to just about anybody. <laughs> you know, she'll go up. If she sees a need, she's my perceiver of needs, right? And she just does it. She doesn't ask. She doesn't, you know, well, I suppose she asks sometimes, but, but that's who she is. And again, this is the one that at seven, I made a comment. I shared it with you last week that I should never have said God still has his purposes in her heart and is moving her forward despite something that I shouldn't have said, right? And then there's my last one. I'll just flip to that picture now. This is Dan, and I told you he's always been my unique kid. This kid, despite extreme ADHD and other challenging issues, I shared some of those last week, um, he's got the joy of Jesus in him. He told me about a year ago, he said, Mom, I know why God has me helping in leadership and in the youth. He said, it's not to hang out with all the like, cool kids and the kids that have you know, 20 friends around them. He said, I'm always looking for that one that doesn't look like they're very happy or they look isolated or alone. He goes, and I go make them laugh. <laughs> That's what his job is. He said, my purpose is to make people laugh, to bring joy and laughter. And you can see this is who he is, right? He He's not, he doesn't care what he looks or acts like necessarily. Sometimes I'm like, ooh, Dan, you know, pull that together a little bit. But, but you know what? He's about 
joy. And he knows where it comes from, right? He knows where it comes from. He's used it here in ministry at this church right now. So I just wanted to share that because last week after sharing all my oopses and everything, I just wanted to make sure I also said to you, like, you know what? We have those moments, but we, we have prayed and prayed over our children. We've prayed with our children. We've um, gone to them. We've sought forgiveness. We've um, had them, you know, talk to them about forgiving us, like, and, and we've forgiven them. Like, those things all matter. So when we have those ouch moments, don't let it hold you back. Do not believe a lie that you're not doing things right, right? God's purposes will prevail in their lives. So I want to move on to new stuff. Um, I'm going to get to, back to that image. Ah, where'd it go? I'm not a techie. There we go. We're going to get to that in a minute. I wanted to, this is something that I didn't quite get to last week. We kind of ran out of time a little bit. And I really want to try to get out on time today because I'm supposed to. Um, but this is just wrapping up. We'd been talking about the offline. Remember, brain goes offline, the, the stress hormones that coat the brain and all of that. Um, this is looking a little bit at, because I have a lot of parents ask me, what about discipline? What do I do with, how do I discipline my kid in a way that's godly and yet makes a, you know, <laughs> helps them understand and teaches them things, right? So that's, I'm going to do a little bit with that a minute. Um, and then we're going to move on to this image, and I'm going to kind of teach you one more thing that's very biologic, but it will be so helpful to you as you move forward, all right? Um, so discipline. Here's a couple. These are really just notes that I made that um, really will help, I think, in your understanding. Like I said last week, we tend to get caught up in the emotion of it, and we forget to step back from the emotion and, and even allow that time for that stress hormone to kind of drain off the brain, right? So we want to do that. But then these are things that are going to be helpful. First of all, when we talk about all that wiring that we talked about the first week, the wiring in the brain, yes, you will probably have to tell your kids or maybe consequence or remind them of something like a 100 times before it really sets in. You know, my husband used to say, I've already told them 50 times. Why is he doing that again? Well, you know what? We know the brain. The brain is, remember that bike? For those of you with the first week, the bike, the one that, the reverse uh, gear shift thing, I think that he worked on it for eight months, remember? So sometimes it takes time to get those truths and those things set in. So it's okay, you know, rather than get emotional about why is he not doing it for the 50th time or, you know, why do you feel like you're just a broken record? Understand, that's the brain's doing its job. Your job is to be consistent um, and to remind them or talk to them about it or possibly consequence. Um, here's another one I put on here. Try to understand your child. And I'll tell you, this was hard for me when I was a younger mom. I thought at two or three, they just needed to do what I said, and that's the way that it goes, right? And in some cases, it is. If they're running on a road and you tell them not to go near the road, they need to do what you said now, right? That's protection, that's safety. But you know what? Sometimes, and there's this thing, it's, it's called magical thinking that kids do. It's actually a term in a, you know, a social books and things. Magical thinking says this. If something is happening for a child and their brain development does not quite get it, and whose brain development really does at two, three, four, five, six years old, right? If they don't quite get it, and actually have, this is a lot older than that, but anyway, brain development doesn't get it quite yet. The, the child, not, not like they're intentionally do it, but they create an ending or a resolution or an understanding of something that somehow makes sense in their brain, even though you as the parent is going, that makes no sense at all. That's not accurate. There's no truth to that. That can't even happen, right? But in their brain, this makes sense because magical thinking says, I have to find a way to understand this. So you as the parent, one of the best things you can do with your child is to listen to why when they do something that just seems like really weird or really off or really wrong, really bad, whatever, try to understand first what they were thinking about that. And not in a, what were you thinking? More in a, sorry if that was really loud, but more in a, help me understand what you were thinking. Okay, I want to understand that. And most likely, you're going to start to understand, oh, I see what you mean, and now let me help you understand Another way to look at that, 
but give them an opportunity to speak. You know, like I said, when I was a younger mom and my kids were young, I just thought they were supposed to think like I thought and do what I said. And the reality is they have these little brains that God's given them. We need to understand them. Um, Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. These are so important. Younger, older, teenage. I'm hoping to get to teenage today if I can. Um, Boundaries tell kids. They show kids you love them. Boundaries mean something. Now, they will hate them. They will fight against them. They will push against them. But in the, if you are consistent with appropriate boundaries, even if you've had to say no 20 times, that will mean something to them. I have one young lady, she's 18, that I see in my office, and her mom, just no boundaries. Didn't really talk to her about anything, didn't really care what she did, anything. And she kind of loved it in one sense because... She smoked pot for a while in her teen years. You know, she went out. She didn't come home until 2 or 3 in the morning. All her other friends were like, how did you get away with that, right? And then she had her dad. They were not together. They were in different homes. Dad, first of all, was a very faithful person, faithful believer, which was really great. But he had boundaries and restrictions. And you know what? She didn't spend as much time at his house because when she was younger, she didn't like the boundaries, right? Because dad had expectations. And dad wanted her to do things that were right. So now this young lady is 18 years old, really trying to figure herself out, really trying hard. And she said, I just don't have any respect for my mom. I can't trust anything she says. I don't know if what she's telling me is truth or not truth, or if she really even cares what I do when I come in at two and three, and I know what I've been doing. And I'm thinking, you should really know what I'm doing, but I don't want to tell you. And she said, I have so much respect for my dad. He loves me, right? So even when you feel like your kids are hating your boundaries, do it in love. Hold them consistent. That is speaking to them in ways that you may not really understand yet. Um, <clears throat> I just said this one. I'll, uh, consistent. Consistent equals trust. They can trust you. They trust that it's there. They trust that you're there. They trust that you're going to hold them accountable. Sometimes they push against it because they just really want to see, are you really going to still hold that one? Right? And so, (laughs) had that experience? (laughs) Yeah. But they do. They will push. Be consistent. Consistent. Um, Empathize. This comes out of the love and logic. Some of you may have heard of love and logic teaching. Um, Empathize with their poor decisions because there are consequences right? It's okay to say, and I used to say this sometimes to my kids, I'm so sorry that you have to, I don't lose that toy or sit on your bed for five minutes. I'm, I'm sorry, because you know what? That's a consequence, and I really wish you didn't have to do that, but the decision you made means that mom has to give a consequence, so we have to understand that that was wrong, right? So you can empathize with them. There is, it is sad for them to have to take time out of playing and go sit on their bed, But we do it because we need to remember that consequences do teach, right, over time. Um, Yeah, I said this last week, or maybe even the week before. I think it was last week. Don't take anything personally. When they are really upset and they're offline, remember the whole stress thing, and they yell, um, you know, I hate you, or I hate your rules, or, you know, whatever. They don't hate you. They don't hate you. They are offline in their brain. And they've got to go through that process of getting back to stand, you know, status quo. Um, but don't take it personally. Do not get wrapped up in their emotions. That's the one that out of everything I wish I could change about my young mothering was not to take things personally. Um, let's see if I have any more. Yeah, I, this kind of goes along with something I said last week. Remember, this was supposed to follow the end of last week, but I didn't get quite to it. Um, don't punish when you're angry. I kind of said that last week. Remember, just as much as they can be offline, we can be offline. And then we don't speak maybe as lovingly or kindly or appropriately as we should. So just don't punish when you're angry. If you need to take a break with them, it's okay. You can come back to it in 15, 20 minutes. All right? Um, Oh, here was the last one I wanted to put on here. Um, Well, and I'll address spanking just a little bit. Um, But the siblings... 
you know, this one, um, I had to learn this one, and since then, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about it, but my kids, when they were younger, you know, I would get in there and say, oh, we gotta, you gotta apologize, and you gotta do this, and, you know, and I kind of, like, led the resolution to conflict, if you will, and I remember, I don't know, my son was probably 12 or 13 at one point, and I remember him saying, would you let us work it out? And I remember thinking, oh, like, I can do that, you know, I can step back, right? And it is actually really, really good for them to have to work. Now, it may not always sound really great at first. I had one set of friends that they would have their two sons go into a bathroom, which was not a large bathroom. It was pretty small, actually. It was like a, you know, off the kitchen type bathroom, not a full bathroom. And they couldn't come out until they resolved it right? I had another young lady just recently tell me that her dad would have the siblings sit on the couch, and he would be in the room, but he would not speak. He would probably not even look. I mean, he was, you know, trying to look busy or whatever, Um, and they couldn't get off the couch until they resolved it, right? And you might give a little guidance on how to resolve, but let them try to resolve it. It teaches them, and if you have to step in, you have to step in, but maybe it's in the sense of then helping them with the conversation, like, Maybe you could say this to that child or whatever to try to help them learn the process. But that's a really huge one that I think we don't, sometimes we moms just do not allow our kids to figure out how to resolve problems, right? Um, I wanted to just make a comment on spanking, you know, because most people ask, and so I wanted to make a comment on it. You know, there's all kinds of thoughts on spanking. Is it appropriate? Is it not? Is it abuse? Is it not? Right? And, And all kinds of thoughts like that. I'm going to tell you really what I landed on and what my husband and I landed on. Um, I don't get to decide for you, your spouse, your family, whatever, but this is what we landed on. And honestly, a lot of what we came to came out of work from Dr. James Dobson. Um, A lot of you know him, child psychiatrist or psychologist for, I don't know, 50 years or something. He's been around forever. Um, But what we landed on, you know, spanking or, or consequence Sometimes it needs to have a little bit of a bite to it, right? Because depending on the child, especially your stronger-willed children, you know, those stronger ones, sometimes they really got to understand that you do mean business. That when mom says, uh, you know, don't hit your brother, you know, we don't want children who are hitting or biting, things like that, right? So sometimes we do need to spank, but this is what we landed on that I, I feel like is very, I still feel like this is very appropriate. If you're going to spank, first of all, don't do it in anger. We'll go back to that, right? So maybe it has to be paused for 5, 10, 15 minutes until you're doing it as a consequence, not out of anger, not out of emotion. So that, you know, you take that step back, and then you talk to the child. Really, we tried to do this as best we could, as, as time would allow or whatever, both before and after. The before was, here's, here's what the consequence is, you know, like maybe two spanks or whatever, or one spank, whatever. Um, here's why. Here's the offense. You know, here's what happened, and I really need you to understand this can't happen. It is not okay, and you can put whatever words to that you want, but they need to understand what the consequence is and um, why, so that they don't think you're striking them out of fear or whatever, right? And then you have that spank, and then the after is, I love you. I will always love you. I forgive you for whatever that was or, you know, working through that. So there's the, there's the, making sure that their heart is still guarded and protected, right? Does that make sense? So spanking is not a horrible thing. Now, spanking in anger, spanking repeatedly, spanking uh, harshly, personally, I would say with anything in your hand, probably not a great idea because that feels weapon-ish. Children don't you know, know how to process it. That's really a fly swatter, right? It still feels like something harsher. Um, so I don't promote myself using anything other than your hand. Okay? I'll leave it at that. I kind of want to say some of my teaching, I go, any questions? But I'll just move on. So I want to um, move to one more biologic process that would be very, I think will be very helpful for you. And oh, right here, I already have it up, the vagus nerve. So let me, t- I, I know I just feel like I'm bouncing, but I'm just trying to get through everything. Um, the vagus nerve. Every person has what's called the vagus nerve. It is the biggest, longest, and I believe thickest vein in your body. 
And where the vagus nerve starts, I, this is two images from the back and then the front, but it's, it's really still the same nerve. It starts, if you note, on either picture, right where that base of the brain is. Okay, If I had a pointer, I would love to show it. But right at the base of the brain, that is that part of the brain. Remember when I talked on the first week about the amygdala, where all the emotional reaction, quick stuff happens, right? Like it's, the, it's that immediate response to emotion. That is right where this vagus nerve starts, okay? So you can already imagine that when an event happens that triggers a frustration, an anger, a sadness, a fear, anything, that nerve goes zing, right? It gets triggered. That nerve travels the entire length, and you can see it in both pictures, of the spine, all the way down through the body. And then off from that vagus nerve, you can see it a little bit better in this picture over here, all the feeder nerves to the body, to the arms, to the even the legs, right? All the feeder nerves um, come off from that main vagus nerve, right? So here's what happens. Um, child or, you know, teenager, whoever, you, <laughs> doesn't matter who it is, whatever age you are, you have this emotion, and, and it hits, and it's pretty deep or powerful, right? The vagus nerve goes, <gasps> something's wrong, something's wrong, and it travels down the body, right? And all the nerves. So here's what happens. You might have somebody that their hands start shaking. Well, their hands are shaking because the vagus nerve is trembling because it's trying to figure out what's going on, right? Or you might have, this is really interesting, my husband used to, years and years ago, but he used to get panic attacks. Well, first three, four times. He didn't know there were panic attacks, and his legs were going numb. Twice his school sent him to ER <laughs> to figure out why his legs were going numb, right? Well, we finally, as I learned more about the vagus nerve, this information is really, I mean, it's probably about 20 years old, but it only really started hitting mainstream um, five to 10 years. So it's pretty new, right? So, so when my husband was having panic attacks 20-some years ago, I, I didn't know a lot of this either. We didn't know, right? But his legs would go numb because the feeder nerves that came off from his vagus nerve into his legs would cause him to go numb. He could, like he would lose feeling, right? Um, here's something else that happens. So the vagus nerve goes straight through the midsection of the body, right? I mean, kind of down the back, but it's in that midsection. By the way, I think this is so interesting. You know when you look at a skeleton and you know how you see the spine and you got all those like horseshoe-looking pieces. I don't know what they're all called. I'm not a bone person, but you know what I'm talking about, the spine. The vagus nerve travels right in the middle of that. It's like a protection around the vagus nerve. It's a, it's a very, very powerful nerve in your body, right? But here's the other thing it does. It affects your breathing. You know, whenever you or your kid or whoever, your husband, whoever, gets upset, gets that thing triggered, a lot of times our breathing starts to go... <sighs> We start breathing a little heavier or crying, right? Our heart starts racing more. Or we feel nauseous. We feel um, uh, like maybe we're going to throw up, which we're really not going to throw up. It's more of the, you know, that part of the body is getting triggered, right? So we have these very natural physical reactions when this nerve gets triggered, all right? So the thing that we have really learned with the vagus nerve is when something happens, a big event happens, we don't want to try to deal immediately with what's going on. Remember the first session I said the cognitive part of the brain says, nope, I'm not going there, right? It pushes it back down. The one thing that we are really, really learning, and I've been doing this with people, I did it yesterday actually, and it was amazing. A girl came in yesterday crying and just, can't, I mean, she couldn't talk. It was one of those, because she couldn't talk. And I said, stop. I said, we're just going to breathe for a minute. And, and we start to, what, what I'm going to move into is regulate the body. We start to regulate, really, I'm going to say regulate the nerve. It's, it's trying to gain control of the physical by regulating that nerve in their body, right? So I will have people, and what I did even with this young lady last night, I just said, we're going to take in about three, one at a time, deep breaths, and I always tell them, and this works really great with kids, blow your lungs up like a balloon, right? In other words, take in as much air as you can and, and blow your lungs up. And take that air in, and then I have them hold it because we want to sort of stress 
that muscle a little bit. Because here's what happened. I forgot to say this one little thing. When the vagus nerve gets triggered, that whole section of the body goes into protection mode. It, like, tightens. That's why the chest feels tighter and why it's heavier to breathe. That's why the stomach starts getting nauseated in those moments. Everything is going into protection, right? Even... And this was so interesting when I learned this. Even their hearing. So those nerves, they're out of the vagus. It goes up into your ears, too, as well, and your eyes. So when you have kids, sometimes when they are highly uh, triggered or they're highly emotional at a moment, and you might be saying, you know, don't do that or whatever you're telling them to do, and later they may be like, I didn't hear you. They really may have not heard they may have audibly heard, but, but they may not really have heard because even that gets triggered as those ears, right? It's why we step back and calm, like we've been talking about before. Um, if you ever seen, by the way, this is probably maybe more with an adult, anybody that has this huge anger response and, like, like their eyes change a little bit, like, looks kind of scary, right? That is even that vagus nerve triggering those eye muscles. They become very pointed. They become very direct, that reveals to you they're really stressed somewhere inside. They may not even be speaking, but you can see it, right? It's, it's the response of that vagus nerve, okay? So we want to regulate the body. I'm going to go back to kids for a minute. There, you should have a paper. I'll look at a minute and see if I have it, but you should have a paper that looks like this one. Is this it? Uh, I want the one. Oh, here. This is the one I wanted. The one that says tools. Oh, that's the same one. I kept looking at it going, why does it look the same? Tools um, to manage anxiety. You see that one? Did everybody get these? Does anybody not have these handouts? Awesome. Oh, we got Caitlin, do you mind? A couple over there. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Calming the vagus nerve essentially means bringing some sort of relaxation to it. The breathing is really good. By the way, that young lady who couldn't talk when she first came in, literally about three to four minutes later, we were having a full-on conversation because I did those deep breathing with her. We stretched out that lung muscle about three times. And when you stretch it and then you hold it, which stresses it more, when you let that go, oh, it feels so much better. It just feels better because we're reminding it you can, you can breathe. It's okay, right? And you can do that um, with your belly, too. I, do, I usually do lungs and breathing in the belly and blow that up a couple of times, right? Same thing. Um, because it stresses it, and then it relaxes, and it feels so good, okay? Um, so, yeah, about three to four minutes later, we were having a full cup. She never lost it again the rest of the session, all right? Um, I did work with one little boy that um, he started calling it. If they put another name to it, go with it. It's awesome. He started calling it his underwater breathing and, and he would use his belly and he would breathe really deep and hold it like he was underwater. Magical thinking. That made sense to him. So now he and his mom both call it his underwater breathing and when he starts to get stressed, she starts talking to him about underwater breathing. He starts doing it and calms right down. Okay? So whatever makes sense, you know, work with it, right? One other quick thing, too, um, weighted blankets. I don't know if any of you are very familiar with weighted blankets. They actually discovered initially that these work really, really well with um, uh, autistic kids, right, who struggle to talk and work through things. Um, but weighted blankets, if you think about it, when you lay that on you or a child, that's a little bit of pressure. It's pressing on that vagus nerve. Now, they've known weighted blankets work with those kids for a long, excuse me, a long time. They never really understood why, right? Um, my daughter has one now. She, I don't know that I would consider her highly anxious, but she has her anxious moments for sure. She loves that blanket. She puts it on her all the time, and it's just comfort to her. So um, those are fantastic. They're a little pricey. Look for them on Groupon or something, but, um, but they are really nice. So these are some other ways to work out anxiety, okay? And so the paper there, um, exercise. If you get them moving a little bit, that starts to get the, that vagus nerve back into the normal pattern of exercise, right? That can calm it. Um, journaling, especially for teenagers, that's a great one. Um, 
What is, I can't have my glasses on. Oh, using your other senses, music. Do you know music? There's music therapy. Now, if I had this all over to do again 20-some years ago, I would have gone into music therapy. Um, it wasn't a thing at the time. Music actually impacts every section of the brain in one way or the other, in a, usually in a soothing manner, or I suppose it depends on the music, but, um, but it actually has impacts on every section of the brain. Uh, so we we don't play a lot of calming music in our house, like in the background. Um, my husband discovered coming home from school one particular year, he just had a horrible, I shouldn't say that, but he had a horrible class. Um, and he would listen to classical for about a 25-minute drive home, and it ch- totally changed our evenings. Um, and it's, it's just amazing what music does. So playing music, even if it's just in the background, it has incredible impacts on the brain. Gratitude, that one that says practice gratitude, the brain really cannot focus on something that it's frustrated, angry, whatever about, and feel something, uh, and feel gratitude. So working, maybe doing a gratitude journal. I saw a lot of times I'll have kids that will my counseling office, I'll have them make a list of like 10 things that they're really, really genuinely thankful for. And it takes some time to do that, right? But I'll have them make that list and then use that list when they're feeling frustrated, angry, upset. Start thinking about those things. Start remembering why they're so thankful. It changes the focus of the brain. It calms them down. Um, Some of these are coming off from the vagus nerve, but now is a good time to bring it in. Um, You know, meditating, the deep breathing is what I would really call that. Um, Praying maybe even with it. Any other ones I want to mount? Most of these pretty much make sense. Yeah, I think that's good. I don't want to. I don't want to take too much more time. But you've got the paper. Um, really, the biggest thing that I wanted to help you understand today was that Vegas. If you can calm that, you can calm an event in a much shorter time period, right? Um, so don't be afraid to try to do some of that. Um, oh, one other thing. I'm glad I wrote my notes so I remember. Our brains have a very, um, like, natural calming tempo. And, and it's actually, when it is at this calming tempo, it allows for the most natural, not natural, what's the word I'm looking for? Optimal thinking, okay? So here's what it is. If you think about a very normal pulse, like your blood pulse, when you're at rest, it's just like kind of like I'm doing, right? It's just this kind of tempo here. Anything that you can do that would bring in that tempo. I have kids pet animals. I even have stuffed animals I keep in my office. Sometimes if they're highly, a little bit out of control or elevated, dysregulated, I will give them one of my stuffed animals and have them start petting it. If you have a dog or a cat at home, a cat that will let you pet it, (laughs) or a dog, um, you have a perfect calming thing right there in your home, right? Rocking you know, is another one. Again, that it's a calming rock, not a fast-paced or frustrated, but when you do that calming rock, what's happening is you are joining the optimal thinking tempo of your brain, and it allows for more clarity and more thought. Even in my office, I have a chair that does the swivel, and I don't swivel fast or a lot, but I will find myself when I'm, like, really trying to, you know, think of something or hone in on something, I will find myself just very slowly swiveling a little bit. It joins, you join that natural tempo to allow for better thinking. So that's just a little fun tidbit that I love knowing. Um, What else do I have here? Uh, Rocking, swaying, petting, um, soothing. This would be for your older kids. (laughs) Um, Soothing stones or smooth. Anything that you can put in their hands that is very smooth and calming, um, is excellent. But again, this is not for your little ones. You don't want it. Well, if it's a bigger item that can't go in a mouth, of course, that can be okay. Um, I have a woman that just, out of the kindness of her heart, makes me um, stones that are exceptionally smooth. And I keep them right on my, kind of my shelf there. And sometimes I'll have kids just sit and do this, right? Um, because it's very calming, right? Using your senses, which I think is on that paper. Um, what other ones? The weighted blankets. Yeah. So those kinds of things to help with calming. Um, I'm going to keep going. What? Oh, my goodness. I have so much I want to talk about. Um, self-regulation. You know what? You have those papers. I think I'm just going to uh, let you look at those. Um, this one, I'll just mention real quick, the eight ways a child's anxiety shows up as something else. What we see as emotion 
oftentimes can be something inside isn't sitting right and I just need to calm down a minute, right? That's really what these all are. Um, What looks like uh, avoidance might be that, remember I talked about the kid who runs and they're just trying to like protect themselves a little bit from the emotion that they're experiencing. Um, That might look like avoidance. Um, Defiance is a big one. Negativity, over planning. I have a lot of teenagers um, or even elementary age that, you know, they keep themselves so busy. I mean, they're doing homework four and five and six hours at night. That's not necessary. But when they're doing that, it really can reveal to you that there's something internally that is causing them some significant anxiety. And we need to work on what is that? What is what's driving that? Right. Um, obviously, kids who struggle with sleeping, you and I all know that well, sometimes when we are not resting well at nights because our brains are, you know, on hamster wheel mode and we're, we're funneling through things really quickly, um, that can obviously be a sign of, of a worry or an anxiety that's deep within there. So, I don't know, any, I mean, normally I wanted to be able to do questions, but any questions or thoughts on that at all? Anybody, am I going a little bit too fast at the end here? I just feel like I need to, I got a lot. Um, and I haven't even touched the teenagers. That's where I'm trying to get to a minute. This paper right here, just real quick, Understanding Dysregulation and How to Support a Highly Emotional Child. Really, this is a paper. I actually found it. It really relates more to last week, but I just thought it was so good that I wanted to have it printed out for you. That dysregulation is what I kept calling offline last week um, when they are so... Uh, their brains are so covered with that stress hormone that it's making it difficult for those neurological connections to work right. And so they are offline. They're not thinking clearly. Um, the three R's for that. I thought this was so fantastic. Regulate. That's what we've just been talking about. The calming. Do whatever. You know, it might work for that particular child. And by the way, what works for one child is not necessarily what's going to work for the next. You might have three different kids, and they each may have their own way to regulate, right? So that goes back to that, you know, I said this, I think the first week, be a student of your child. What works for your child? It doesn't have to work the same for every one of them, right? So regulate first. That's the first thing that you do. Then relate to them. Validate. Understand. That's that seeking to understand. Help them feel like you are listening, that you care, right? And then after you do those two, then you can reason. That's when you can sit down and have that conversation about why what they did or said was or wasn't okay. What does God say about that? What does Jesus say about that? Right? That's when you can get to all of that, but you really can't get to that until you've done those other things. Um, so regulation is, is essential to move them into a place where you can now talk through and process things with them. Okay, I do as much as I can. I'm going to try to get through some teenage stuff. I got to tell you, when I was in grad school, they had to do an internship, and they said, you know, you give us two populations you really want to work with, and they and then I had to write a little paragraph on the population I just absolutely didn't want to. I didn't know that was a trick. And so what they did is they gave me the one that I said I absolutely don't want to work with teenagers. I was at that time just like, I was an ornery teenager. I was not nice. I just struggled my own stuff. I did not want to work with, you know, bratty, snotty, ornery teenagers. I'll tell you what. They put me in an internship for a year. I loved it. My teenagers are probably my favorite clients right now. I love it when parents call and say, I don't know what else to do. I'm like, oh, bring them to me. Come on. Bring them here. You know, I love it. So they're great, but you got to understand them, right? You got to understand them. So here's a couple things about teenagers that are really going to help. First of all, going way back to the eight stages of development, um, if you remember, so the adolescent time period It's identity, figuring out their identity. They really want to understand who am I? What makes up me? I had two later later adolescent clients in like two days this week, both of them saying, I don't know who I am. I only know what people keep telling me I should be and and what my mom says and what my dad tells me I should be. And, you know, but I don't know who I am, right? And so they're trying to figure it out. Um, and that, so it's the identity versus the role confusion, right? So role confusion is where do I fit? How am I, how am I supposed to act in whatever role that I'm in? So they're constantly trying to figure that out. Um, teenagers feel everything. If you remember that first week, I talked about that middle part of the brain that is being developed. That's the emotional section of the brain, the limbic system it's called, right? They feel 
everything. They want to figure out life, but through their emotions. Well, you and I know that's not a good idea, but they don't understand that because they feel it. They're in the thick of it. You know, that boy that they dated for six hours that broke up with them, and my life is over. I can't do this anymore. And you as the parent are like, oh, for pity's sake. But you know what? For that moment, they feel like life is over. It's real for them. And so that's part of us listening, understanding. Talk to me about how that hurts. It's okay to tell me that. It's okay. I understand it hurts right now. You don't have to agree with them. You just got to listen and and hear them. I think that's why I do so well with my adolescent clients. I spend a lot of time just letting them go off a little bit, right? And it's okay because they got to express that emotion first. And then... Go back to the once you've regulated, once you've heard them, related to them, then you can reason with them, right? Um, One little tidbit for your girls. I find this, I learned this probably 10 years ago, and it was a life-saving thing for me with my daughter as she got older. Um, Girls, for about a year before they start their menstrual, menstrual cycles, so they haven't even started them yet, but that year before is when they are the most emotional, they are, their, their system is up and down and up and down and up and down. And you're like, what is going on with you, right? They haven't even started your periods yet. Well, the reality is that is when that happens. After they start those cycles, then their emotions start to come more in waves. We laugh about and joke about PMSing, like those two or three or four days that are like miserable at some point. We start to regulate. Our systems do a little bit, that emotional up and down. So about a year before is when you start to see that. So here's what I did with my daughter, right? And, I, and she would actually tell you that she hates this, but I'm telling you it worked, <laughs> right? So I sat her down. She was probably about 12 when all of a sudden I started to see this. She was a late bloomer. She didn't start her periods till 14. I was like, lucky you, <laughs> right? But if anybody knows her, don't tell her I told you that. Um, but I sat her down, she was about 12 and I started to really see like, this isn't who you are. Right. And so I started talking to her about hormones. I started talking to her about when you feel things more and you don't really know what to do with that feeling and that emotion. Right. And, and so we started talking and I said, sometimes Abby, when you act that way, I know watching you that that's not really who you are. That's an emotion. I can see that. But I said, you being in your early adolescence, it feels really real. So I said, we're going to kind of come up with a code word that I can use to say, ah, this is probably more emotion. This isn't really who you are, right? And she was like, mom, that's dumb. <laughs> and I said, well, dumb or not, we're going to try it. You know, I want to try it with you, right? And she didn't want to name a code word, so I came up with one. And I just said, the code word is fluffy unicorns, right? So, and she, again, she'll tell you she hates this, but I'm going to tell you, for about maybe a year. We probably said that, and we didn't use it frequent. It was very specific two times when she was like, you know, and kind of went off a little bit. And I would say to her, oh, I think I hear a stampede of fluffy unicorns. Mom! But you know what she would do? No kidding. She would march off to her room. She might even shut the door harder than I want her to shut it. I wouldn't see her 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And she'd go out and go, Mom, can I help you make dinner? <laughs> or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, as much as she hated it, and I know she did, it cued her brain into the difference between emotion and, like, who she really is, right? And so that she didn't have to. Now, that's not to say we don't have emotional things, but really, I told you the first week, I don't deal with a lot of teenage drama stuff with her. I really don't. And I honestly believe it's because I took that time to help her see it, and then I had to use the fluffy unicorns probably five or six times that first maybe year or so. Um, I don't know the last time I said it to her now. I can't even tell you um, because we don't deal with that. And she's about 15. Um, so helping them understand themselves, helping them understand their own bodies. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> teenagers, here's the questions at, every, at the end of every section. I always gave you what the teenagers are asking. These are their questions. Who am I? Why am I not like the other people around me? Because we go to that comparison. How, how am I supposed to act? Okay. What makes me important? What makes me unique or different in a good way? Cause they want it to be good, valuable. 
What does it mean to be a child versus an adult? I have a lot of kids who think that once they start getting into the adolescence, they're all of a sudden like taking on these parenting rules. I have several 12-year-old girls. Yeah, you relate? I have several, especially about 12, 13-year-old girls that are trying to parent the other siblings, right? They're trying to figure out who they are. So talking with them about... This is, at this age, this is what's appropriate. You don't have to do that. You'll be there. (laughs) You'll have to parent. Sometimes you wish maybe you wouldn't, but you do. But right now, that's not the role. That's not the place in life that you are. So helping them understand that, talking to them, not necessarily out of scolding. You know, you just be the kid, I'll be the parent. Well, that doesn't really help. But helping them see roles and understand age-wise. I even had a young man one time. I think he was probably, I don't know, 10 or something. I don't know how old he was. And he, I don't remember what he was doing even. I think he was biting. I think, I'm pretty sure he was biting. And I had him, like, I listed out several ages groups, like two to four, and, I don't know, four to six or whatever. And we talked about what, what ways are developmentally appropriate at those levels to act. And, and he could say, well, two to four-year-olds usually are biting. And at about the time that I said, you're 10, but you're biting. And he was like... Oh, you know, so helping them understand what is their role and what's appropriate at different roles, all right, or ages of life. Um, Here's the other one. Oh, goodness. I got to try to make this really fast, but I do want to say it. What does it mean to be a boy or a girl? Because the culture that we're in tells them very different things about what it means to be a boy or a girl, how to feel as a boy or a girl, when you're in adolescence. It's very different than when I grew up and maybe when a lot of you grew up, right? So girls, when they're 12 and 13, they just want to be loved. They love the hugs, right? Boys are not good at that at that age, nor should they really be, but they're not. So who is loving on those girls? Other girls, right? It's the girls in the hallway. I love you. And they go up and they hug or whatever, right? And that is feeding a need for this adolescent who wants to feel loved. And in our culture, because of what's now acceptable, appropriate, they, they can start to question and wonder, am I supposed to be a lesbian? Or am I supposed to be, maybe I'm more masculine, maybe I don't like dresses and I like to play sports, so maybe I'm supposed to be more of that role, right? It's questioning those roles, right? Boys who don't have opportunities to really, you know, quote-unquote, be a man, meaning not given opportunities to, uh, you know, do things that boys do or guys do or work with their dads. I love it when I see, like, boys, like, helping dad with the car. They're really not helping, but you know what? They think they are, right? So we want them to experience those kinds of things so they can understand what it actually means to be a boy, right, or a man one day, right? Because we know, or I I believe most of us know and and believe in the truth that God designed us to be man or woman, female or male, right? That's what he designed. But our culture is making that so confusing for these kids, and it's right here is why at these ages, all right? Um, Three developmental, I'm just going to say them. I don't have time to talk a lot about them. Three developmental stages for adolescents that are very consistent. And you know, if you have a teenager, you're going to be like, yep, 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 right? The first one is privacy. They want privacy, right? Well, that is actually a developmental stage. As they're working on all this stuff in their brains, being able to step aside and, and think or do or even just let it all go for a little bit, that's actually good for them. It's, it's okay. What I always said with my kids is you, you definitely have privacy. You can go in your room for a while or whatever, but balance. Because just as healthy, and I would say this, just as healthy as it is for you to have your privacy, it's also just as healthy for you to be with your family who loves you, who wants to spend time with you. So balance, right? And that's what I would teach my kids. Um, you can have privacy. Absolutely. When they're in the room for two hours and you're thinking, oh, my goodness, Right? expect and help them understand there's a balance to that, but during the time they're there, it's okay. Make sure they're doing what they should be doing and not anything inappropriate in there, but 
it's okay to have privacy. Second one is autonomy. They want to make decisions for themselves. They want to have ownership in their life. Kids will actually do better, and they really feel pride for it, when you give them chores, responsibilities. Now, they'll tell you they hate it, of course, but if they do it, and then you're like, man, you clean that tub so good. You know what I mean? They're, they're not going to love that. They're not going to say, oh, thank you, and feel so good about it necessarily. Well, they're not going to say that, but internally, internally, they feel appreciated. They feel you recognize something they did, and that gives them a, a sense of pride, right? A good, a good way, right? So autonomy, also making decisions. If they at, you know, fifteen or sixteen, uh, you know, really want to fight for, I want to take this class, and you as a parent are thinking, but that's a waste of time or whatever. You know what? Give them opportunities to make those decisions. With them, and I, I said this to my son, freshman year of college, he wanted to go off and join a, um, it was a pet band type of frat, so it was not like an inappropriate thing. It was pet band. But it was going to cost a couple hundred dollars. And I finally said to him, you know what? You can, and if it's great, and you, we're not paying for that. That's yours to pay. We're helping with other things, but we're not doing that. So you can, but if it's great, awesome for you. If it turns out to be either a waste of time or something not good, that's your own personal consequence. But you have that choice, right? And just gave it to him. So we talked about both. In the end, he could decide, right? So we, you got to give him decisions. And then um, privacy. Oh, and then peers. Yes, peers, peers, peers. You know, nine times out of ten, they're going to choose their friends over you during those years. That's okay. Go back to balance. Go back to balance. I do tell my kids, and I would highly suggest this, Consider whether the friends that you're hanging out with are influencers and what type of influence are they likely to have. Kids know. They just may not want to say it at first, but we want them to know that we understand you can have really good influences and you can have not so good influences. So are they influencers or are you an influencer? You know, Are you somebody who doesn't have a problem um, speaking what you think, what you feel, you know, we shouldn't do that. That's not okay, right? So we want them to understand that difference. Influence, do you want to be an influencer or do you want to be influenced and who do you want to be influenced by? Okay. Um, I, unfortunately, I have to go to the end. I'm so sorry. I, but we're, I, I think I've gone over every week. I'm so sorry. I want to do this though. I want you to just, and if you have a baby, one hand is fine, but I want you to hold out your hands, because I want you to hear this. I mean, it's a prayer, but it, and it's taken out of a scripture. But I just want you to hear it and receive it. You're holding your hands out like, Lord, pour this on me. Take this in, right? All right, so here, here's the prayer. And I'm actually going to put my hand. I want to pray it over you, every one of you. The Lord bless you as you comfort a hurting or frustrated little one in your arms. The Lord keep you close to his precious spirit as he leads and he guides your words and actions in those tender moments. The Lord make his face to shine all over you as you reflect his goodness and compassion to your children. The Lord be gracious to you as you seek his gentleness both for yourself and your children. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you as he desires to bless you and pour his favor over you as you mother your children. The Lord give you peace, his peace that passes all understanding, and I had to add the word logic, in that moment. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So ladies, receive that. You are good. We're great moms. God has everything you need. And um, I just, I have enjoyed this time together. I'm so sorry I've been so late every time. But bless you. Have a good day.